0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 72 of my podcast Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's July and the final month of our summer nectar flow. The bees are busy filling the supers and we've been hit by another bout of CBPV. There are jobs that need attention for this month too so keep listening for this week's updates. Short and sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back to another weekly podcast, and we somehow find ourselves in July, and what for me is the final month of our summer honey production. I've moved all of the bees back to their permanent apiary sites now, and we're in the process now of assessing colonies in preparation really for the autumn shutdown it might seem a little early to be thinking of the coming autumn and winter but believe me it will soon be here and if you've not got yourself prepared those precious few weeks in the late autumn will become a real panic as you try to treat and feed your bees to ensure a successful winter period there are of course jobs to do this month too but they all lead to setting up colonies to survive the darker months and ensure strong colonies for next spring. I was visited this week by a fellow beekeeper from Australia and she was explaining that the active bee foraging time for her is around 11 months of the year. Imagine that to have flying bees pretty much all year round and not really any cold months Seems, on the face of it, a perfect scenario, but I'm sure it does bring its own challenges. This past week has also brought some interesting beekeeping letters through the post. I recently signed up to the UK's Centre for Ecology and Hydrology's National Honey Monitoring Scheme. And looking at their website for some details to share with you, I find that their introduction pretty much explains exactly what they're doing, so I thought I'd just read that for you. The National Honey Monitoring Scheme aims to use honeybees to monitor long-term changes in the condition and health of the UK countryside. However, we need the help of beekeepers if this scheme is to work. Initially set up in 2018, the Honey Monitoring Scheme is a long-term programme that uses advanced analytical techniques to identify the species of plant pollen present in honey samples – This will tell us what the bees are feeding on in different parts of the country and at different times of the year. This information will help us identify possible threats to bees linked with floral resources. The CEH website goes on to explain what the scheme will do and it has several bullet points. State-of-the-art analysis using DNA meta-barcoding and high-precision mass spectrometry of honey samples a sample archive for future research developing new analytics such as disease detection, providing feedback to participating beekeepers, and that's really exciting for us beekeepers, and to generate robust scientific data to inform future policy decisions. And that all sounds fantastic. So I received a submissions pack which contains a couple of tubes that they need to fill with honey for their sample and from that they can identify exactly the plants my bees have been foraging on and they will feed that information back to me and what's really exciting is that they will share this information with me once the testing has been completed. Due to the size and complexity of the project I don't expect to get the results for some time but as soon as I do I will share them with you. If you'd like to take part in the National Honey Monitoring Scheme, then do check out their website. It's www.ceh.ac.uk and I'll put a link to the relevant page in my podcast notes for you to help direct you to their site. The other letter that I received was from a university student called Amy who's carrying out a third year dissertation project involving varroa mites and it was a request for samples. Amy's project is looking into genetic diversification of Varroa and haplotypes within the species. That's mites with a distinct mitochondrial DNA. It seems that there's some suggestion that these haplotypes might be more virulent with higher reproduction rates. So anything that helps us better understand the Varroa mite has got to be a good thing. So I was only too happy to help out. So today I've actually been out Having looked through some of my hives I managed to find some live varroa mites to be able to send over to Amy. The way that I found it was simply finding a colony that looked a little bit stressed and uncapped some of the drone brood and there they were mites tucked away in the bottom of the cells clinging to the larvae. Hopefully Amy will find something really interesting from her research and go on to pass her degree with flying colours. I was back at the queen rearing apiary midweek checking up on how everything was progressing and it was very obvious that we're in the full bloom stage of our summer. I drove past many lime trees that were in full flower on my way to the apiary and you could see honeybees covering the trees everywhere. Norwich has quite a number of beekeepers and it seems our bees are doing a great job this month and hopefully everyone will be enjoying the reward of supers full of honey at the end of this month. Driving down the dirt track at the Queen Rearing Apiary, the brambles are flowering everywhere. They must provide a huge amount of nectar at this time of the year. And of course, in a few weeks' time, we'll be given a bumper crop of blackberries to pick and enjoy. Now, I don't really know how to pronounce this, but I'll give it a go. The Chamanarian angustifolium is flowering along the riverbanks too. And it's a plant that many beekeepers around the globe will know by its common name if you'd shown me the latin name i would not have been able to identify it but in north america it's known as fireweed canadian beekeepers call it the great willow herb and here in the uk it's known as rose bay willow herb it's another great flowering plant that our bees love and forage on extensively further afield the bees will be heading into the local back gardens and here there'll be a huge variety of pollens for the bees to enjoy and not just our honeybees, but all of the social and solitary bees, and all the other pollinators as well. I've also planted a number of pollinator attractor plants in my back garden, ranging from delphiniums, I've planted some flaxes and poppies, and I've also got some echium, which is commonly known as viper's bugloss. Where do these names come from? It's a lovely plant with several tall spikes of purple flowers, and all of the bees seem to love that one. I've also got salvias and herbs and they fill pots and are regularly visited by bees, particularly the oregano which is about to flower. But be warned, if you plant oregano, it self-seeds everywhere so you'll soon be pulling out smaller plants as weeds. The herbs seem particularly pollinator friendly so if you only have a small garden like me, herbs are a great way to go. We and the pollinators get to enjoy them when they flower and they taste fantastic in our food. Returning to the queen rearing setup I had a quick look in the colony that has the queen cells trapped in Neko cages and as yet they hadn't emerged and looking back at my records this morning and the queen rearing timetable it indicates that they should emerge at the weekend so I was a little premature in having a sneaky peek and like many beekeepers patience is always a bit of a struggle. While I was at the site I checked up on another colony that had been queenless for some time and they'd been busy creating emergency queen cells which if not removed would probably have led to the loss of a swarm. Luckily enough I had some help on the day and together myself and my guest Marion were able to spot all of the queen cells and remove them. Well at least I hope we were able to spot all of them otherwise you all know what's likely to happen next. Having made the colony hopelessly queenless, we set about grafting some more young larvae into the Jay-Z z b z cell cups to get another round of queen cells started. Both Marion and I had a go at grafting using the Chinese grafting tool. It's the type with the little plunger on the top. And even though Marion had never done this before, we soon had a row of 10 cell cups primed and ready to go back into the queenless colony. Something I should mention here that might help out if you're a first-time grafter is always look for frames of larvae that are in the older combs. Newly produced comb that's light in colour hasn't got the integral strength of the older combs which are much darker and I found myself pushing the grafting tool into the cell and straight through the bottom and into the opposing cell on the other side and as the cab of the pickup got warmer so the wax got softer and it became even trickier to graft and that's why we only ended up with 10 grafted cell cups. There was no point in continuing with the frame we had. Better to concede the point than pushing on regardless and doing more damage to the comb, and getting more frustrated by the minute. The good news is, I can go back later today and check the grafts we did manage, and top it up from a better frame if necessary. The apiary is particularly full of nuke boxes at the moment, and I shall need to move a few of them away once we've finished the queen rearing. Most will become overwintered nukes in preparation for next season and to make up for any winter losses that we might have. Talking of losses, I've noticed the dreaded chronic bee paralysis virus has reappeared, this time in several colonies compared to last year's single incidents, but this year I think I might know what's happened. If you've been listening to the podcasts regularly this year, you'll recall that we took the bees to the oilseed rape field to help with pollination. And we also had a phase of swarming where I split several colonies. I think the CBPV, the chronic bee paralysis virus, was already in one of those colonies that I split, but probably wasn't visible at the time, or we certainly didn't notice it. We then had a period of cooler, damper conditions. In fact, we had torrential rain for a short period, and the bees were confined inside the hives for some time. I think the combination of splitting that one colony into four and the following damp conditions probably caused the virus to become a problem add to the fact that all the colonies were on pallets close to the ground and in fairly long grass and some alarm bells are beginning to ring if the virus was already in the hive and conditions then become cooler and damp, I think the bees are going to be confined in close proximity to each other. And just like us with a common cold virus, if you shut a large group of people in a small room and one person sneezes, well, you can imagine the outcome. That old phrase of coughs and sneezes spread diseases would probably hold true and it passes quickly from one to another. Incredibly, The colony from last year is still alive. That's about the only good news I have to report about them, though. They still have the original queen, so they haven't tried to swarm at all this year. That said, it's probably not a surprise, as they're still only covering about three frames in the nuke box. It's taken nearly a full year for them to simply survive, and does pose the question is there any point in trying to keep them alive, or should I have cut my losses last year, destroyed the heavily infected colony? cleaned out the equipment and started over. Well there may be another option as earlier in the week I had an email from a fellow beekeeper called Mike who'd been recently suffering from a CBPV problem and instead of destruction or using the shakeout method that we followed he followed a different method which seems to have completely recovered the colony and within just a few weeks as you can imagine I was very interested. Now Mike's story is very familiar to me a strong colony with plenty of supers on suddenly gets hit by the virus, seemingly out of nowhere, and in a very short time has five to ten percent of type two syndrome CBPV workers. That's the one where they appear black and hairless. Mike freely admits it may be a first-time fluke, but all the best solutions probably come from one of those eureka moments. So what did Mike do? Firstly, he removed all of the food stores, leaving just brood and bees. The result was that over the next few days the colony appeared to kick out all of the sick bees something like 25% of the entire colony. Mike then fed the colony with a light sugar syrup with thymol in it at 1.5 times manly strength. There are a lot of online instructions out there dealing with how to make up the so-called manly strength thymol solution and once you have it it's just a case of adding one and a half times the amount into the syrup. So for instance one teaspoon of stock thymol solution in 10 litres of syrup becomes one and a half teaspoons of stock thymol solution in 10 litres of syrup. I did ask Mike why one and a half times the manly mix and he was honest enough to answer that he usually uses one times strength and two times seemed like the fumes were too strong so he opted for halfway. I'm really grateful to Mike for sharing his experience, which he says resulted in a thriving colony with no signs of chronic bee paralysis virus just three weeks later. The colony is back up to strength and has two supers back on it. Mike, thanks for sharing that information, and I'll keep you all posted as to how I get on with my sickly colonies. We mustn't forget that there are still jobs to do around the apiary this month, and keeping up to date with these might just be the difference between getting a crop of honey or not. What we all need now is nice strong colonies to maximise the nectar flow. So, if you've only got a couple of smaller colonies, why not consider uniting them? It's a simple process and can be completed in as little as 24 hours. Two small colonies become one large one, and you might just get a super filled with honey. Swarming will generally be in the back of the minds of the bees now. They're also looking ahead and thinking more about stores for the winter rather than swarming, but there will be some colonies. That seem determined to throw up queen cells so do keep a watchful eye out for those. Varroa mites can cause large colonies to suddenly collapse at this time of the year. Those of you that missed early season treatments could find that it comes back to haunt you at just the wrong time so it would be well worth monitoring for varroa. It's a simple process especially if you have open mesh floors. Slip in the bottom board and leave it for a few days and then take it out and look at what's dropped. Remember If you find that treatment is needed and you have honey supers on the best option is probably going for something like Miteaway Quick Strips as these can be used while you have honey supers on the hive. Talking of honey supers now is the very best time to get some cut comb produced. All you need is some unwired foundation or indeed a frame with a thin strip of wax along the top bar and the bees will pull it down and create some beautiful comb honey for you. If you're unsure about trying it why not just put one super frame into the centre of an already existing box that's got bees working on it and let them do their thing. One trick i found is that if you put a new frame between two honey super frames that have been or are being capped, the bees can't then extend them to fill the space from existing combs, but will get into the foundation and draw it out nice and flat. And there's nothing to stop you from moving a few frames around to set this up in the middle of your super give it a go. You'll wonder why you never tried it before and you'll walk away with the local association cup for best cut comb. I'm sure there must be loads of other jobs that we should be getting on with but I need to get out and inspect some bees now so I'll see what else needs doing and report back next week. Well that's it for this week, thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast and please do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet.